Welcome to Closer to God Today, the evangelistic ministry of Reverend Jack Cayley. Our hope is that people draw close to God by coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, here's your host, Jack Cayley. Jesus called ordinary men to follow him. He still does today. He believed in them. For instance, Shaw the playwright says, I have never had any feeling for the working class except a desire to abolish them and replace them with sensible people. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, give me 12 ordinary men and with them, if they will give themselves to me, I'll change the world. And you know he did. Jesus called these men from their day's work, fishing, which says to us that God's call comes anywhere, anytime. You notice his call was, follow me, just follow me. He didn't say I have a a great theological system that I want you to investigate or I have certain theories for you to think over or I have certain ethical practices that I would like to discuss with you. He just said, follow me. He put it on a personal response to him. For most of us, it seems to me that following Jesus is like falling in love. It's not because of what Jesus says or even did. Although gratitude for what he says and his death on the cross ought to fill the heart of every person. But I think we fall in love with him because of who he is. We just never meet anybody like him. Whoever loved us like that, whoever understood us like he does, who was ever as forgiving as he is, we just become captivated by him. Notice that Jesus offered these men a challenging task. I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't give them a, chast, a task uh, to uh, a life of ease, but to service. He said, I'll let you spend and burn yourselves up and die for my sake and for your fellow men. That's the only way you can win, if you'll give it all. Well, that's the challenge, and that's how those men got started. That's what we're talking about, is how do we get started, you and me, in this area of reckless abandon to Jesus? Of course, first of all, I said yesterday, you have to be born again. You've got to get in position to play before you can ever play. You know, one of the sad things about the church, as many of us know it today, is that it's a, kind of a spectator uh, experience, Sunday morning is. It's like um, we go to a, a basketball game or something, and, and we never did play at all. We, all. we just sat in the bleachers and watched, but we 
persuaded ourselves that we're down there playing. We get involved with it mentally and so forth, and we come home and say, boy, I really played a great game. Oh, I never got on the floor. And many of us, because we refuse to be uh, become recklessly abandoned to Jesus, we never get on the floor. We never really play. First of all, we never really become born again. The transformation from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness never really takes place in our lives. Many people never really say, Heavenly Father, I have sinned. I was born in sin. I repent of that lifestyle completely, totally. A kind of life which was in which I was doing my own thing, which I'm going my own way and I'm walking away from you. I turn from that lifestyle now and I turn to you and I receive the kind of life that you want me to have. The forgiven life, the new life, I receive that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And then we go a step further with God and we say, Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, fill me with yourself and control me entirely. That's what I want. Many people never do this. So we can't even begin to be... <laughs> what we're talking about here, recklessly abandoned to Jesus Christ. But once we've taken that first step, then other steps are possible for us. And that's what we're talking about here. This reckless abandonment, the total abandonment of self to another and putting ourselves entirely in his hands with trust and faith that whatever he asks us to do, regardless of the circumstances, it's the very best thing for us. Therefore, we hear the Apostle Paul say to the church at Rome, we find this in Romans 12, the first chapter, first 12th chapter of Romans, the first two verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul speaks very definitely here about a couple of things. He talks about offering our bodies as living sacrifices. And he talks about what is true worship. And he calls it spiritual worship. True worship is the surrender of my right to myself. The surrender of my body to God. Everything I do with it every day. It's not offering a liturgy to God, however noble that may be. 
It's not going through some ritual on Sunday morning, however magnificent that may be. But it's seeing the whole world as God's temple. We should be able to say, I am going to worship God in church, at school, at work, at home, wherever I am. How does this occur according to Paul? Paul says we must undergo a change. There must come a death within us. Not a change in our outward form, but in our inward personality. We must become living sacrifices. Now, a sacrifice, of course, amounts to a death, uh, to a giving up, a giving away. The old person within me must die, and the new person must rise out of that death. And that new person must be surrendered to the will of God. Now that change takes us from a self-centered to a Christ-centered life. And thus, our mind is renewed, or the mind of Christ becomes ours. And let's take a for instance from our own lives. Say it's Sunday morning, and uh, you wake up with a bad headache or the flu or something, and you know you just can't go to church. You have your family pray for you, but uh, and you anticipate being well in a day or two, but you just have to stay in bed. The family goes to church down there on the corner, meets with your fellowship. They come home, and you say, well, how'd worship go today? And this is very likely to be the comment from many, many families. Little brother will say, you know, the acolytes got those candles lighted on the very first time. The preacher didn't even have to help them light them. And um, the sister will say, that choir was really something today. The soloist never mentioned, never missed a note. Things went smooth, tremendous singing. And someone will say, the ushers were immaculate, boutonnieres were on in proper place. Everything just went smooth, just the way it ought to go. Just felt so good. And then someone else will say, and the preacher was really cooking. He was really on fire. Then it was better sermons. And then you ask the question, well, was there any uh, mention made of sacrificing yourself, uh, the surrender of your own rights to the will of God, uh, the giving of your body is the temple to the Lord, and everybody kind of looks at you and says, uh, well, no, 
Nobody mentioned that. Who said anything about that? Anyway, is that what worship supposed to be? And then you remember what Jesus says here through the lips of Paul. Therefore I urge you, brothers, and you put your own name in there, Jack, in view of what God has done for you, God's mercy, to offer yourself, your body, as a living sacrifice, not a dead ritualistic sacrifice, a living sacrifice which is holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. When we do this, God will take us and make us original and holy and each will have his own life with God as the Holy Spirit that is that well of living water springs up in us and determines our own lives. God will determine our lives. Therefore, you and I are not to inflict our own experience of God on anybody else. We must let him be as original with them as he was with us. We don't want to reproduce somebody just like us. We want to reproduce somebody just like Jesus and just the way he wants them to be. When we abandoned to Jesus, when we say, Lord Jesus, here's my body. Do with it as you wish. When we come as he says, come, then we'll continue, he will continue to say, come to others through us. Our lives will be an echo of Christ's command, come ye after me. I want to emphasize to you again, and I don't know who is listening to this tape. You may have sent these tapes to somebody. You may be the person who received them. I want to say this to you. If you think these tapes will help somebody, you can reproduce them as many times as you like and send them to as many people as you like. But there are seven out of ten people in the world today who do not know Jesus personally and passionately, who have never become recklessly abandoned to him, who have never even taken the first step with him, and they're totally lost. Jesus wants that person to see him in you and me who may be claiming to be his person. So Paul says, and Jesus speaks through Paul. Paul says, you want to see Jesus? Look at me live. You want to see Jesus? Look at me die. So Jesus constantly says to those who do not know him, says through the lives of those who do, Come, follow me. I want you to look with me at another passage of Scripture. 
Matthew 14, 25 to 33. And here is another example of reckless abandon to Jesus, to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This has to do with Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Now, I've heard all kinds of gross and crass jokes about this, and it's always in poor taste, it seems to me, to be joking about something and someone as important and as beautiful as the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard people say that the reason they could walk on the water was that they knew where the rocks were and so forth. But I want to take this seriously with you, and I want to read it. I'm in the 25th verse of the 14th chapter of Matthew. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, the first thing you have to do is decide whether or not this is true. And this is the same way with all the miracles of Jesus. If it isn't true, then why put it in here? And of what real value is it to us? So I'm going to approach this just like what it says. They saw Jesus walking on the lake. Now, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if that's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Well, let's look at this account a little bit. <clears throat> you know, I've been over there, as I said, on that Sea of Galilee, and you take a boat ride out there. By the way, if you'd like to go sometime, why well, just contact Closer to God Today headquarters and see when we're taking our next trip. But anyway, as you take those boat rides, you're not very far off the top of the water. And I asked one of the people I was with once, I said, you suppose I could do it? You think I could really walk on this water? And the person says, if I were you and I stepped off there, I'd be sure that I could swim. And this person was totally right, and I'll tell you why. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Notice what Jesus says here to those who were scared. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus always says this to you and me. He says, Jack, don't 
be afraid. I am here. Lord, if that's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Tell me to come to you on the water. Now, Peter wanted to be with Jesus. But first of all, he wanted to be sure that that was Jesus out there. And he knew Jesus' voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And those of us who are his sheep do know his voice. This reminds me of when I was a boy. And all the kids used to be out in the yards playing or in the playground. And about 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the evening, the mothers would begin to come out on the porches and begin to yell for their children. And your little brother would say, was that mom? He wanted to know this. If that's mom, I'm going in. But if that was somebody else's mom, I'm not going in. Well, that's exactly what Peter said to Jesus. Is that you, Jesus? If it is, you tell me to come because I know your voice. And Jesus said, come. And immediately, Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water to Jesus. Now, the reason I couldn't walk on that water to Jesus is because Jesus didn't tell me to do that. And when we do stupid, foolish things and try to foist these off on the Lord, they never do work. We just uh, get in trouble, that's all. So I couldn't walk in that water and neither could you, unless the Lord told you to. Now, Peter was walking on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. See, he took that step of reckless abandon. Jesus said, come, and he came. He went, and he was doing fine, and he got almost out there. And then he started looking around and his circumstances. I think a conversation like this might have taken place between Satan and Peter. I'll tell you why I think that. Because I'm like Peter. Many of us are like Peter. We're men. And God has called us, and women, and God has called us to follow him to walk on the water. And we've been doing all right. We've been doing extraordinary things as ordinary people, but filled with faith and power in Christ through the Holy Spirit. I think that this kind of a conversation went along right there. Satan says, you know what, Peter? You're walking on the water. And Peter says, that's right, I am. And Satan says, but nobody walks on the water. And Peter says, that's right. They don't, do they? And down he went.
Have you ever been like that? Have you ever been doing exactly what God told you to do and you knew that you were and he was sustaining you and you began a conversation with Satan and the doubts and the fears came in and you just became inert? Well, let's look on at this a little further. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Has that ever happened to you? Now, you notice Jesus did not say to him, Well, you blew it again. I'm sick and tired of you, Peter. I'm just going to push you on in and let you drown. He didn't do that. He reached out his hand and picked Peter up and drew him to him. And evidently, they walked back to the boat together. I don't know how else they got there, unless they got there that way. Now here you have Another incident of the invitation of Jesus for reckless abandon. For an ordinary man to do an extraordinary thing. And this is another example of how to get started. Notice this now. The wind was boisterous. The waves were really high. And when Peter started out, he didn't see this. He just saw Jesus. He was so in love with Jesus. He wanted to so be with Jesus that he just stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water. Here's a moment of reckless abandon. Then he began to reckon with the wind and the waves, his circumstances, and down he went. He became problem-centered, circumstance-centered, rather than Christ-centered. He took his eyes off Christ, and he sank. As long as he had his eyes on Christ, he had the desire and the power to go on. But as soon as he took them off, and got his eyes on his circumstances, on his problems, he sank. He went into calamity. Jesus said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you quit? You were doing so well. I think we need to see something right here. As far as being recklessly abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned, we need to let circumstances come and go, and they certainly will. Rest assured that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That those of us who say that we are Christians are going to be buffeted just like those who say that they are not. Those circumstances come and go. 
But we are to keep our eyes on Jesus, and we are to rely on him completely. There are two things that we need to remember here. <clears throat> First of all, Peter failed momentarily, but he was not a failure. In the moment when he was failing, he clutched at Christ. Every time Peter started to fail, he rose again, closer to Jesus each time in his life. So a saint is not a man who never fails. The man who has recklessly abandoned to Jesus is not a man who never fails. But he's the man who gets up and goes on again with the assistance of Jesus every time he falls. Notice another thing here. When Jesus got into the boat, the wind sank. Wherever Jesus Christ is, the wildest storm becomes a calm. Christ's love, which flows from the cross, brings peace and serenity. Jesus says, take my hand, I will walk you through this circumstance. Regardless of how chaotic these waves and this wind in your life may seem, with me you're safe. Take my hand and I will take you back to the boat. And it was only after they got back that the circumstances changed. So you see, it's not our circumstances that make the difference. It's whether or not we are recklessly abandoned to the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes the difference. Friend, are you recklessly abandoned to Jesus Christ today? Do you have your hand in the hand of Jesus? Thank you for listening to another broadcast of Closer to God Today. We hope this message has both blessed and encouraged your walk with the Lord. Please take a moment to visit our website, closertogodtoday.org. That's closertogodtoday.org.